When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Everything is Black and White podcast, brought to you by Chronicle Live, bringing you the latest insight on everything to do with Newcastle United. You can find us on iTunes, Acast, Spotify, or most podcast providers. Hello and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Musgrove, and today joined by Kieran Kelly. Hello. Usually on this episode, we will review the game that has just gone, and that is, of course, the opening fixture of the Premier League season. Newcastle lost... 1-0 to Arsenal on a wet and a windy day. Arguably one of the most horrendous conditions I think I've ever seen at St James Park. One journalist uh, referenced it back to the uh, time we had derby of Hullet and Ferguson on the bench and um, that night, torrential downpours. <laughs> However, <laughs> as it usually happens when you cast United, things get a little bit uh, distracted. And Rafa Benitez has emerged from the shadows. He has to respond to Lee Charnley's Match Day Programme Notes. Now, for those who haven't read Lee Charnley's Match Day Programme Notes, um, I mean, it's the first kind of communication we've had from the club, which I think is significant in, yeah. a, in, a, in a long while. Um, and the statement when it was announced being as it was, was going wasn't, it, well, it wasn't, it was, it was a long, it was a short statement. And, and also the Bruce's arrival, not, there wasn't, there wasn't too, anything substantial really said. So, Interesting to see that he chose the match day program notes to do it in. Um, I've got them here in front of me, and obviously the reaction was as you would expect. Um, I mean, first of all, we'll go through a little bit of it. I mean, the, probably one of the strongest lines I, I'd, I think for people to, to pick out on would be um, We understand expected the disappointment that Rafa's departure caused. We strongly believe we went beyond what could be reasonably asked in order to keep him, but let's be clear. He moved to China for money. Charlie mm. uh, does go on to say, um, we understand that and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. I mean, but I mean, that's quite a strong line. Yeah, I think um, any kind of communication, uh, particularly after the summer, uh, when there were so many silences and no comments, and indeed Charlie kind of explains where the club are coming from with that and... Um, what you think of that is, is your own opinion but yeah I mean Benitez I don't think he's hidden the fact that the money was a big uh, attraction of going to China he's he's tried to drive home the project element you know that that favorite word um, managers have with regard to the the amazing facilities and um, you know the the chance to kind of bring in some of the players he wanted to bring in so a big example obviously being Salomon Rondon but um, you kind of uh, when we were here think this day last week on the podcast and he put that blog post out where you know there were those couple of um leopards not changing spots and staying in the castle hotel and you kind of felt that was a response to the mike ashley interview which seems a lifetime ago in this context now we're here charlie uh wanted to i think from from in my opinion he was always going to put uh something out because the club wanted to start using the program um you know whether it's the start of the season and the end of the season or a few times season for, 
for uh, Lee Charney to put across his thoughts as well. But you always felt he was always going to come out with something at some point. Um, he chose to do that with the program. And then this means now that you're kind of getting a tit for tat thing because Benitez is then coming back um, with his new column. He's going to have that, it seems, every week. And although it's going to focus on the Premier League and, and what's going on in the Champions League and, and what he's doing in China, I think inevitably now we're in danger of a, a tit-for-tat kind of scenario where every even three weeks or every month, one of them's going to put something out there. And given public life, they're going to feel like they have a right of a reply. Now, Rafa as a response did come in the athletic we will get on to that we'll just read a bit more into what Charlie said I mean the first point is were you expecting him to be so forthright in what he said I mean if you I mean a lot of it people will read between the lines but I mean for example um, ahead of kickoff today I'd like to extend a warm welcome to our new head coach Steve Bruce and his coaches what we have now in Steve Bruce is someone who genuinely cares he wants only the best for the city and the football club and his passion for both is abundantly clear. Yeah. Now, some might read that as a dig at Rafa Benitez and but people just say, well, Rafa Benitez wanted all that. He wanted the yeah. best for the club and he cared. Would you say to those people that's maybe just reading a bit too much in between the lines? I mean, it, I, it's, I, Yeah, I think in that messy. instance, for sure, I think no one could argue that Steve Bruce doesn't care as a Geordie as someone who really wants to be a success at Newcastle's dream job I don't think anyone could disagree with that point I personally would give him the benefit of the doubt on that because you know I I could be wrong is that early in the program notes he says that um before what's to come with regard to the Joe Linton detail and and um more of the you know saying Benitez went for the money let's make that clear I think that is an innocence um welcome but yeah it's it's as it goes on. It's quite extraordinary, you know, in in the program to to read. And I'm sure many of the fans felt that as well. But like I said, I think the club just feel now after summer where they're really uh, criticised for not commenting. Um, uh, they feel they need to get their side out more. And while it's not going to be palatable for some people, I think you do need to hear more from the club. And I think we need to hear more from those people within the corridors of the club because to go on uh, to have that kind of summer again would just be unthinkable. It was really tough for fans. It was really tough for uh, all parties concerned, really, because, um, you know, the players, for example, didn't know really what was going on. They had the uncertainty when Benitez left of not knowing who was going to come in. The fact the club had to bring in five players in 16 days towards the end of the window, you know, it was it was a really remarkable summer. Um, and it's going to take the team time to gel and recover from that. And really, I think a lot of us would like to park it and move on in, in all instances. But I think it, potentially now it has this, th- these platforms are there now for each party to get their, their say across. Um, just we'll look at one final quote and get your, your take on it. We have, without question, demonstrated in the last two transfer windows that if the right players are available in the transfer market, we will spend and add exciting talent to the squad. Now, I don't think anyone actually would disagree with that. I mean, Almiron came in, yeah. Joe Linton's come in, um, Alan St. Maxman, potentially all very exciting players. Um, but I think what people may argue, and I think I would as well, would say it's not a case that they're not bringing in exciting players. It's a case of how quickly they're doing it. And I think you've referenced there mm. how quickly they've had to bring in 
uh, five players. You, yeah. you did a piece over the, over the weekend saying it, you know, far from ideal. I'd, you, you could forgive people for saying, well, you know, maybe you could have moved a bit quicker in the transfer market. Yeah, I suppose the club's point of view would be that Benitez had the final say right up until the end of June and um, Charlie makes that point that they had outstanding scouting reports about Joe Linton and that the deal could have been wrapped up in February and he puts the blame in one word or another on Benitez not giving the final sign off on that and Sam Maximan I know has mentioned that he knew of Newcastle's interest going back to the winter as well but because of the situation they're in which was such a unique situation in top flight modern football now where you know you have a manager who um, is there till the end of June and the club were maintained they were intent on keeping him the manager wanted to stay but the conditions weren't right for both sides to come together and extend we know that by now it meant that come July 1st they had to start a managerial search from scratch in a way they did to get a manager in for that you know, third preseason game was was an effort in itself, and then the fact you have to you have to get these players in as well. It, it it's I think it it we're probably only realizing now as the team gels and the fact that a lot of those players haven't had a full preseason that it is going to take weeks and months for it all to come together, and that is a gamble. But I think had they not signed as many players as they did, they really would have been. Um, in danger as well so I think they, they were kind of caught between two stools they had to act but the fact that they weren't able to act quickly enough means that these players have to hit the ground running that they've looked at players who um, you'll notice that with Kraft he obviously has played in France and Italy you've noticed with Willems he's played in Germany um, with Joe Linton he's played in Austria he's played in Germany and obviously in Brazil a lot of these players know what it's like to adjust to a new country um, and a new league it's a different level going up to the Premier League, but they're banking on basically that they have that life experience as young men all under the age of 25 to be able to come in and, and settle into, let's be honest, a, a very welcoming and hardworking dressing room. So it's a gamble um, going forward with, with these new players, but they have spent money. Um, it's just, I suppose, in an ideal world, fans would have loved to have seen it spent with, you know more gusto and maybe with Rafa Benitez in charge it didn't work out like that point you referenced there um, about Joe Linton was um, everything was in place with contracts and paperwork agreed and it was disappointing and surprising that we could not conclude it at that time and that's as far back as February Um, we felt it was a transfer that was in the best interests of the football club however we needed Rafa's approval to proceed and despite our best efforts, this is something he would not give. Um, so there's that bit. And I guess, actually, you know, one of the positives um, that you take out of this um, interview or column by Lee Charnley is we want to give you more of an insight into what happens across the club. And you will therefore be hearing from me as you are today and from our staff across the football club and foundation over the season now. Mm. Whatever you think about Lee Charney, whatever you think about Mike Ashley, um, that is a, that is a positive because for so long, you know, laid at their dawn, quite rightly, and it's something Lee Charney, you know, addresses about this no comment policy. You know, he says it's, it's either sometimes to do with the legal, legalities of play, um, 
or we take the decision in order to respect the integrity of a process or individuals involved. So, you know, he's, he's addressed the, you know, the accusations of poor communication. Um, so it's good to see that they're actually, actually, yeah, we understand that, we accept that, and we're going to come out and be more open. Yeah. And, of course, they understand that they could come out and 90% of what they say is going to be analysed like this and, 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 and you know, mostly criticised by the fans who read it or listen to it. Or at the same time, you look, you can't, you can't criticise them for actually saying, look, we are going to come out and we are going to be more open. Yeah, yeah, like I said, I think that's that's a positive thing because I I can see where the club are coming from, whereby you know they can they can put a tweet out or they can put a post out, and naturally you, you saw it that that one point in the summer where it was just so uncertain that you know the fans just reacted the way they did whenever anything was put out and I think there has to be a recognition now that being opening the doors a bit more showing the great work that goes on you know we saw um, last season with uh, the the piece Mark did with Jamie Harley and how enlightening that was and it showed you how high tech and modern and some of the really good advanced productive work they're doing behind the scenes and I think if fans could see more of that because it is going on in other departments um, that's a real positive because they don't just want the uncertainty and kind of feeling that detachment admittedly it's a really tense time at the moment you've seen with the boycott you've seen with the protests you've seen a lot of fans despair but I think that has to be the way forward now that they they open the doors more and and kind of show some of the great things that are going on there uh behind the scenes no most of I mean I went in and spoke to Eddie Rutherford last year and you, you get you do get that um you expect a bit of negative feedback shall we say on that when you go in and talk to the club about the good things they're doing because fans majority just care probably about what's happening on the pitch but there are so many good things going on behind the scenes uh, you know the free sanitary products for, for women is an excellent move you've got a sensory room for um, autistic fans who can come in and feel comfortable within the ground yeah. you know turning to Jim's Park into a venue for music and another sports, you know, brings money in the city and other things that do need to be shouted about. And, you know, hopefully we get a bit more of a, a look at things that aren't just to do with the football. Of course, there has to be a balance. We probably do write about football. And that's obviously what we're doing here. <laughs> but like you say, um, the positives as well as the negatives have to be reported from the club. I think that's an important thing to understand as well. You know, yes, it's only a player's tunnel, that they've, that they've revamped, but it looks excellent. Yeah. So we've got to report that because that's, you know, that is a positive and, you know. Yeah, and I think more than anything, it's it's not that we're banging the drop for the club at all, but it's yeah. that you understand where the club are coming from when they make certain decisions rather than the world seemingly being in the dark about why X and Y hasn't happened or why X and Y took that long. And you can see with, even with the programme notes, whatever you might think of them, you at least see where they were thinking. Um, from their point of view, it's the key thing to drive home, as we've seen in what's come out today, that there are two very different sides of the story. Um, but we need to hear both sides, um, whatever happens. Yeah, we've got we've got balanced <laughs> and fair. That's kind of that is like kind of the main thing. Um, on to Rafa Benitez, his response. Then, um, like we say, it was done in his first column for the Athletic, um, and it, from what I understand. He didn't initially want to talk about Newcastle, and then it was in response to 
what he'd, he'd been told or what he'd written or, sorry, read in, in the match day programme. And I guess the first thing is it, it's probably expected that he would and I, you know, come back um, at what Lee Charney said, just like it would probably be expected, as you've kind of referenced, that Lee Charney would come back at Rafa's <laughs> last blog post. We do hope that this is kind of the end of it, and I think Rafa does hint at it. Um, he does say that kind of this would, he doesn't really want to talk about Newcastle um, in, in his exit. So, I mean, that's, um, you know, we do hope that's the, the line drawn under it. Um, well, what, what should we talk about then in his response? Um, I, th- I suppose the main thing would be the lack of trust between him, or the, the lack of, he doesn't feel he could trust Newcastle's board. Yeah, I, I think we, we we kind of almost knew that anyway. But when you when you see it in black and white, obviously it's a bit more powerful, isn't it? When when he spells out exactly what he was thinking over the summer, you know, the, there's a point he made that he was. One of the scenarios he was left with was was like the fans hoping for a takeover. And when you hear that a manager is thinking like that, given all that has played out since with the Binzaya group and how far that really got, kind of shows you the situation it was in, really. Um, I suppose one of the things I found interesting from it was he was saying he was thinking about his staff as well. And obviously the, the idea of a manager being out of work is one thing, but that all his staff are out of work is, as well. And that being on his mind listen I think he had his reasons for going to China um I think we all know that but the heartbreaking thing is always is that he did want to stay at the club he saw the potential and history of the club in equal measure and what he could go on to achieve I think there'll always be that feeling that um it's it's a moment lost and it's it's a, a potential turning point in the club's history um what Newcastle could have gone on to achieve under Rafa Benitez could they have pushed on well into the top 10 and, and so on and so forth um, we'll never know ultimately and that's the shame but I think you can see by the reaction from his column that the fans um, have still have such admiration and respect and, and love for him um, and he'll always have that and that's the ultimate tribute you know I think he went into Newcastle very much thinking it's a sleeping giant and he knew if he could win a cup, um, he he would have, his legendary status would be established, and ultimately that didn't happen. But he leaves very much with his head held high. I think you turn on the other side. Obviously, you're seeing um, how the money thing has been thrown at him. I think that is is a point to take. But really, what all the fans wanted to see was um, Benitez taking the club forward. That doesn't happen. And to be fair to him. He's been keen to wish Steve Bruce luck, wish the staff luck, wish the players luck. Do you think that helps though? Because I mean, <laughs> I mean, I'm just playing devil's advocate here before anyone decides to throw some abuse at me. But do you think that helps us now? Because we all know how a lot of the fans view Steve Bruce's appointment. We all know, and I mean, even he has addressed the fact he's not everyone's cup of tea. He's not Rafa Benitez. So on the eve of the first Premier League game, again playing devil's advocate. Does that good luck message help the situation, do you think? I mean, he's entitled to do it. Yeah, no, I think, to be honest, the players and Steve Bruce and staff would be so cocooned anyway that they're not going to be reading a blog written thousands of miles away in, in China, let's be honest. I think this is the thing moving forward now, how relevant Rafa Benitez is to what's currently going on at the club in terms of the management that's in place now. And we're, we're kind of getting to that point where 
he doesn't really want to talk about it. I emphasize really. And in reality, I don't think the club now want to continue to dwell on it. I think they want to push forward. To push forward from this now, you need the manager, the current head coach, sorry, to to start to settle in, to get his new signs bedded in, and of course for the team to get results. Um, it was tough on Saturday, on Sunday, for, for so many reasons with um, the atmosphere around the, the stadium, um, the boycott and the weather, and obviously the result ultimately it felt disappointing in the sense that you know, they, they had their chances in one period in the first half, a 1-0 defeat to Arsenal isn't a disgrace, but you kind of felt for Steve Bruce, he, he, he'll be so desperate to get off to a good start. Uh, it all comes down to that Norwich game, you know, looking ahead to the next game. But yeah, I, I, I don't think either party want to dwell on this anymore, but they almost feel uh, there's almost not an obsession, but someone has to have the last word almost, and they're chasing each other as a result. And as I said earlier, it won't be a good thing for Newcastle moving forward for this to go on all season. Um, but the the thing now is Benitez has, has a platform if he feels he need the need to put something across. And he makes a point there that um, it's almost like a veiled thread, isn't it? That he can go into more detail if required. And I think that was what stood out for me out of the column is that he, he feels there's still more to be said if necessary and that's very much you know aimed at the club so if the club want to put out another message about him he feels he has something to give back so you hope personally I hope this doesn't go on for much longer I said it last week that listen it's a new era and new staff of the club and whatever the fans feel about them or or the club in general, um, they want the team to do well, and and we as reporters, you know, want the team to to have a crack at it. So, yeah, you hope all parties can just move forward now. Fingers crossed. Just one last quote from Benitez's um, response, which is quite interesting. I think it's something that has been. I'm not, I'm not going to say even bubbling away in the background. It's something that has been kind of at the forefront of concerns of Newcastle United fans, and, and I think everyone kind of understood it was something that Benitez wasn't overly comfortable with and it's regarding the training ground and the academy um, so I'm going to quote Benitez now they told me they didn't want to invest in the academy or the training ground if they like I can explain the reason why Mike Ashley refused to do that their idea of a project was a policy of signing players under 24 and in my opinion the budget the budget available was not enough to compete for the top 10 I, Kind of three points there, or yeah. two points really. Um, first of all, the training ground and the academy. Newcastle said we've, you know, we've, we've invested money into the academy, um, in the training ground. Obviously, they've brought in a few academy players. Um, they're kind of revamped Neil Redfern now in charge of the 23s. Ben Dawson kind of overseeing everything. So, a bit of movement there. Um, but I guess the, the training ground and the academy is always something that's going to be on the lips of Newcastle United fans until there is a major investment into it. Yeah. Um, and it's just just one of those sticking points, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, the club felt um, when they last went on record with this that it was an either-or situation that if they put the investment to the training ground uh, this summer, then they wouldn't have been able to invest much in players. We've seen with other clubs, um, Leicester, Wolves, um, those clubs, ironically, who Newcastle would see themselves competing with um, when it comes to mid-table trying to get into the top 10 and pushing on. Um, we've seen how they've been able to do both. And I think 
the club will maintain that the facilities are of, of a very good standard and that you know they were um given a, a revamp albeit a mini revamp when Benitez decided to stay on when the championship season the gym was little alterations were made to the gym and and things like that so yeah I think it's always going to be a sticking point um particularly when Benitez obviously when he worked at Real Madrid when he worked at Liverpool when he worked at Chelsea when he worked at um you know a lot of those clubs he would have been used to really new new modern facilities um that have been constantly upgraded it's been a bit different at Newcastle as I said they they feel the budget rather than splitting it and meaning that there couldn't be more in player recruitment this summer they felt those plans were on hold but that they were eventually going to look at the training ground so we're, we're still waiting on that to ultimately happen and the policy of sending those in the 24 yeah I, I think we since since January really you've, you've seen that come back in I think you look at last summer how hard Benitez had to fight for a loan deal for Salomon Rondon ultimately that proved a really good sign and um, but just to get him on loan was was a real push um, with sign under 25s I think there, there are legs to it personally in terms of you look at the guys they've brought in I think they are all exciting signings and they will all rejuvenate that team with that experience they already have with Premier League experience of Richie, Doma, Lascelles, Dubravka, players who've really grown in their first one or two seasons in the Premier but League. But I, I guess the argument there would be Dubravka what, pushing, he is 30, Matt Richie yeah. close to turning 30, um, not, what's Paul Dummett with 26, 27? So, you know, you, and then you've got the likes of Federico Fernandez and Key, all the players that Benitez brought in. And I know it's been discussed numerous of times, but I, I, I'm in the personal opinion that you, you, you can bring in a 22-year-old, you can bring in a 24-year-old, but they can only go so far until someone... That's the point of making yeah. that they already have, for what, me... What happens? Yeah, this is it. Yeah, yeah this is it. It's, they already have the, the nucleus and the skeleton there. It's not like it's a team of kids. It's, yeah. a, re, it's a balance at the moment. Um, admittedly, you've got four or five players who suddenly have to get really up to speed in the coming months. Um, but yeah, it's moving forward, you know, that there will come a time where there's going to be a 27-year-old available who potentially Steve Bruce would feel could be a really good fit. But what I would say is Andy Carroll, that signing is really interesting because more than anyone, I know there's been a lot of kind of talk about does Steve Bruce have the final say ultimately? Is it just Steve Nixon doing everything? He does have the yes or no on any targets and Andy Carroll is someone he pushed. And with Carroll, he wanted to sign Matt Wigan all those years ago when he was still a kid. And Carroll, you look on the paper, on paper, you know, with regard to his age, his injury record, um, and the fact he hasn't started a game, I think, since February. Obviously, that's that's not an easy signing to sell, but they they backed him with it. I think how that goes will be really interesting going forward. I know he has the local hero connection, and it was an easy PR win, but if that's a success. It's, Could it have a, a knock-on effect? What happens potentially in January and next summer when Bruce... Because Bruce, let's be honest, he, as much as he's worked with young players in the past, he does like having the odd old player come in. You look at Christoph Dugary all those years ago at Birmingham, he's not adverse to bringing in someone a bit left field who has a bit of a, a checkered past maybe sometimes or who he feels can bring that experience in the side. So I don't think it's going to be completely rigid, locked in, I think if there's a case to be made, as we've seen with Carroll, 
um, it, the doors could open, but it's still up in the air a bit at the moment. Certainly is. I mean, it's interesting as well because Saul Campbell, he was signed by Chris Hutton. Yeah. And he was, he was what, 32, 33? He's pushing on, wasn't he? And that didn't, that didn't end very well. And that's when we started to see that policy kind of shift. So, And I think even if you go back to when Ashley first took over and you had Viduka, Jeremy and Alan mm. Smith all on huge deals, I think he's never really forgotten that. As much as he always claims, oh, I don't know anything about football, I think that stung him a bit. Um, but for me, you know, yeah, you're seeing six-year contracts being handed out now. They're, they're locking these young guys down. And what supporters need to see is that that's not just with the idea of making a really good profit in a couple of years. It's that their best years will be at Newcastle. And that's where the issue comes in, I think, for fans, because they want to see these guys play their best years at Newcastle. We hope you've enjoyed this episode so far. Just a quick reminder to please subscribe and review to our podcast through iTunes, Spotify, or whichever podcast provider you listen through. Yeah, other than I'd, I would like to see one more striker come in, Premier League experience. Yeah. But other than that, I, I, I mean, I think they've had a decent window. Um, keeping Hayden, Lascelles, and Longstaff was so vitally important. And getting someone like Joe Linton, who looks like, you know, he can hit the ground running. Yes, he didn't score against Arsenal. Um, and that's our next topic um, of conversation is the Arsenal game. But, you know, he, he very well could have done. Um, mm. He forced a good save from Leno. And I think Bruce referenced it. He said, you know, a yard the other way and that was in. Yeah. Um, so he looks like a very good sign. And, and Alan St. Maxwell is exactly what Newcastle United fans want to see. So, you know, I think they've had quite a decent window and they've spent a bit of money. Um, Plenty more to do in terms of January and then the summer. But a good a good starting point and you just hope when it does come to January that I know we're looking well into the distance, but they don't have to end up spending to survive. They they, they, yeah. they, they can spend to push on. That's that's ultimately it. And I think it's one of those interesting things is that there is money left in the pot now. So the club obviously uh will be held to account with with that, you know, if, if Bruce feels that there's someone out there who could really enhance the team in January, that they go for it. But it could well be that they'll carry that money over um, into the summer. We don't know. But I think we saw the Almiron deal last January that if the right deal is there on the table, um, they're willing to hold out to the very last day of the month and do it. So you would you would think that, like you said, there's a difference between signing something like Almiron and maybe with the year with McLaren when they got Shelby and Save and Dumbia, it felt a bit, God, we, we need these guys in. Whereas Amiron, you felt, was very much enhancing what they already had and, and pushing them on a bit. So that's going to be the interesting thing come, come January. What position are Newcastle in? Is it to strengthen, to survive ultimately? Or is it that little push to take them into comfortable mid-table and, and beyond? See that as well into the distance. We've only played one game and we're going to talk about that now. 1 0 defeat to Arsenal wasn't the most inspiring of games. Newcastle could have gone into the break ahead though. Um, Shelby's shot came off the post. Yeah. Like we've mentioned, Julian had a couple of decent enough chances um, and it just kind of just didn't really fall for Newcastle in many ways. But I mean, how did you how did you take on that game and now we've had a few days to think on it? Um more positives than negatives? 
yeah, I'm, I'm still wrestling with it a bit in my head because on paper, a 1-0 defeat at home to top six side is nothing disgraceful about that. Um, I think for me, going into it, I saw it as a really good time to play Arsenal in the sense they their new signings hadn't weren't starting in Pepe. You had Lacazette on the bench because he wasn't fully fit. Klaas and Atronozil, unfortunately, were missing for security reasons, but I felt there was really the impetus there to have a really fast start, try and get the crowd on side and, and really get under get under Arsenal and unsettle them. And I thought bits in the first half were, were very encouraging. I thought there was one 15-minute spell where, I know you mentioned the Joe Linton chances and Shelby's chance, Newcastle were very much on top and you could feel that. You could feel how on Miron's movement was unsettling Arsenal's defence. You could feel how Joe Linton's presence was, un- presence was unsettling them, but course they didn't take their chance and as the half wore on and into the second half Arsenal just settled things down really really comfortable in possession started to get away from a bit from Newcastle and ultimately I think the the turning point was Shelby going off in so many ways Um, before we get on to what happened with Willems coming on it was just the fact they seemed to lose a bit of balance in the middle of the park and given that their concerns about Dummett and Lascelles going into this they obviously didn't have Key to put on who would have been a, a very calming presence to go into midfield and would have kept the shape the way it was. They had to adapt, throw Willems on. Obviously, the the message doesn't get across. So you have two minutes where there's a bit of confusion in the middle of the park. Ultimately, the switch happens, but Willems is a bit cold and he's going out to his natural position and he's caught cold pretty quickly, an underhit pass by Dummett. So that was a shame because they had defended pretty well. I know the first half, Mkhitaryan Albamian had some good chances, but you know, you're looking outside of the goal, there wasn't a whole lot in it in some ways, but I felt once Shelby went off in terms of the structure and balance of the team and in terms of being able to create and, and trouble Arsenal, they they found it a bit hard and it, it was almost like Sam Axman was just, he was that player they turned to just pull something out of the bag and it kind of felt like that with 20 minutes to go that they, they were relying on an inspiring moment. So... That's something to that I'm sure they'll address. But you have to remember, of course, they've only all been working together. Some of them a week, some of them three weeks. The manager's only been there, I think, three and a half weeks. So it is very much a work in progress. But because the Premier League is so relentless, they have such a quick turnaround now for the Norwich game. And that's already a big game because you're going to newly promote a team. You never want to do that two games in uh, because the fans are obviously up for it. So that that's a tough match. But they obviously have to get something because they play Spurs. Uh, the week after. Yeah, it's it's not an easy run-in, but like you say, that is the Premier League. Alan St. Maxman then, you've just briefly mentioned him there, um, came off the bench, and Newcastle had looked a little lethargic in that second half, hadn't really tested uh, Arsenal, hadn't really looked like doing so. He comes on, um, a few dribbles, a, 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 a lovely cross actually, his yeah. first piece of action was a lovely cross, unfortunately no one was was there to go on the end of it and then he, he had a bit of a, a pot shot at goal. But he just looks like a player who wants to get forward and it doesn't look like Steve Bruce is going to curtail that. No, I mean, it, it's the same with Almiron. I don't think you could pin down Almiron's position even though he was uh, Joe Linton's strike partner. He was all around the place and in a way that kind of worked against Newcastle at times because there'd be times Joe Linton would win the ball 
and he might chest it down. He'd be looking for someone near him, and then you would be hoping Almiron would be that that guy in that kind of number ten position. But it, he was often just roaming, and it caused Arsenal problems in getting behind in that. But in terms of having, uh, they're not a classic strike partnership in that way. But with Sam Maxman, yeah, he just he gives them that. He, the cells touched on it. He, there's a nice quote in his program notes. It's the the podcast, the program notes, where he's basically saying they've. He's never known a player in his time in Newcastle who can just do something out of nothing and that they can turn to. And you're seeing that in the training sessions. You're even seeing that on the field, how the play kind of funneled through him at times. They all know what he can do. And when you're chasing a game with 20 minutes to go, that's a really good weapon to have. I think what's going to be interesting moving forward is obviously the minutes are going to build up. Sam Axman, you would hope, is, is going to up his work in training and continue to work hard. And it comes to a point where he knocks on the manager's door and says, you know, can you fit me into the starting lineup? Because um, he's their third most expensive player of all time. He's going to want to play as much as possible. So I think there's a recognition on Sir Maxman's part that he has to win his place. So he's going to really look to impress. But equally, uh, there's going to come a point where he's going to be like, right, how are you going to fit me in um, beyond just being an impact player? Because that's what he feel he is. He, he's more than just someone you throw on for 20 minutes. Certainly going to be interesting though, but I, I just I can't see right now how or where he's going to fit in because, well, you're going to have to change your your formation, yeah. aren't you? And, and so far, Bruce, um, that's what he's stuck with. He's, I mean, you've written a piece up on the website about how Shelby fits into this side and referenced Bruce's want to play this formation, this uh, three-five-two, how he keeps mentioning back at Palace, he did it, and then back at Birmingham, so. Bruce isn't hinting or suggesting that you know he's waiting for Maxman to get up to full speed to fit him in. I mean, I mean Bruce must have some sort of idea where he fits in. Uh, but to me, I'm I'm at a loss to where to where some Maxman will. Yeah, I, I can't at the moment on a three five two see him slotting in at wing back. Then you're looking at the the strikers. So would you take Almiron out? and Almiron's made a huge impact with Bruce behind the scenes he's a big favourite of his already he gives him something with his running can't really play Almiron deeper I thought when he threw Sam Maximan on and he put Almiron in kind of like a in that three man midfield it just didn't work for me personally it was kind of like a 3-4-3 three, three and it, it it just at times was a bit ragged I think yeah, it is hard to see. Ironically, you would say the the formation Benitez used last season three four three, um, with two wide men, Almiron being out wide, Joe Linton through the middle, and Sam Axman out wide would be the the way to go. But I think the concern maybe would be that you saw Newcastle got a bit too open as the game wore on. Naturally, when you're going for an equaliser, and that's why in a way he's brought in that extra man in midfield that can calm things down give them a structure through the middle that they're quite hard to break down as well as having that extra body who can orchestrate play which is what he hopes Shelby can do time will tell ultimately um, and it also frees up Hayden and Longstaff who were very much holding strong defensive players under Benitez who have been kind of freed up a bit so it's one to watch how this formation works because managers live by the systems and the last thing they want to do is have to rip it up um, a few weeks in he's gone into pre-season thinking 3-5-2 is how the squad as it was would fit in with his plans and I think he's going to stick with it for an arch and if they get a result he'll, he'll be buoyed by that and there you have it and you did 
just answer my final question, which was on Almiron, about whether he does need to be dropped deeper. Um, just elaborate a bit more on that, because there was that was kind of the debate after the game, whether him being so far up front, or well, no, not he is up front, yeah. um, whether that restricts his ability to get the ball down and run. Um, but you, you think him being up front, and he's spoken today as well and said he, he's comfortable playing there, he likes playing there, so he seems happy. You think that is the right position for him? I think it's too early to tell. Um, for me, a striker should score goals. And the, the goal drought doesn't worry me personally, but I'm looking at him and I'm thinking at his best, when he's at his best, is at running at people. You saw the San Etienne game when they had a corner, it broke and he rang about 40 yards and it was just unbelievable to see a player run at that pace and beat so many men but again the end product was the issue and I think that's something that's kind of been a worry for some fans is you know can he chip in with enough goals to justify playing up top but you're looking at the team at the moment obviously no one is off the mark yet in the league Um, and for me I think Bruce seems pretty set on sticking with him and Joe Linton as a partnership and given that they've played so little time together naturally there are going to be times where they're too far apart or they're not linking up quite right. He feels perseverance is going to be the way forward, that um, in time that will properly click. But you can see what, what they do together. You've Two very, very different players, but they both have that energy and, and work ethic off the ball that's so important to to Harry and Chase. And But ultimately, yeah, it is going to come down to goals. When you lose Rondon, you lose Perez, you need two players to come in who are going to step up with 25 goals and that's not easy is it um, yeah I mean in the interview with the club website he does say I've never been a massive goal scorer which is honest I guess but in a position of like you say pretend, well I mean he's, he's effectively replaced Perez for the goals yeah. different sort of position slightly but is that something you, you, you want to hear or is he just I mean he's kind of playing down the fact he yeah. hasn't scored yet which is understandable you know he says after that I'm confident that the goal will come and you don't have to worry about these things too much you know the goal will come so yeah. that is kind of what he's doing and I suppose you give him the benefit of the doubt that he's, he's playing down for about with the, the, the lack of goals yeah and the Kirchin thing for me is he's had chances it's not that you know he's gone missing I think he is not one to shy away and that's one of the things I like about him personally is he's a very emotional player but when you see him have a miss it doesn't seem to affect him to such a degree I think it's one of those where the first goal happens they'll start to rein in a bit and you look at his last season at Atlanta I know it's MLS but that was the first time he hit double figures he was playing in a kind of number 10 role he loves playing through the middle so the ultimate payback from him playing in his favourite position i.e. through the middle having license to roam is that He'll feel comfortable there and he'll want to pay back the manager's faith and, and knows that that means scoring goals. So that's the issue for him. Um, I think personally we all know how dangerous he is when he's cutting inside off the flank and when he's running at people from a deeper position. But it's just whether Bruce feels he can sacrifice a central midfielder, play with just Hayden and Longstaff and bring Sam Axman in to play it two wide men whether he feels he can do that yet or is that going to take time to to kind of not lose faith in the 3-5-2 system but to make sure that that's plan A I guess and that's something to watch over the coming weeks plenty to talk about well that's it for this episode thank you very much Kieran 
Uh, Kieran will be holding a live Q&A over on our website tomorrow. So if you're listening to this before 12.30 on Wednesday, uh, the 14th of August, please do drop us an email, kieran.kelly02. That's important. Yeah, 02 at reachplc.com. Kieran needs two emails because he is that well-liked. Um, but no, no, drop him uh, a, a question for the live Q&A, and that'll be going on at half 12 um, on Wednesday. Um, if you're listening to it after, um, we'll be back on Thursday with our preview looking ahead to Norwich, where Kieran and, and Lee Ryder will be down, um, hopefully, watching Newcastle bring back three points by beating the Canaries. In the meantime, please remember to like and subscribe to the podcast through whichever platform you do listen to. Um, this has been the Everything is Black and White podcast. Thank you.